welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hoskin Breakfast on Newsdog ZB and the Cilia Package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning, what the hell is a proactive release? Uh, the GDP, the hype has never been more hypey than it has been this week, and uh, more EV myths busted. But before any of that, uh, so we don't like the government we've got. Uh, what are the options again? Mike, I agree with your thoughts on the government, but what do we, New Zealand, have as an alternative? How do we get an opposition, i.e. national, strong enough to take over? We don't have a strong opposition party. How do we get past that? Who's an astute, capable business person, apart from you, stop with the flattery, please, who can take on Labour and bring about change for a better New Zealand? Now, it's a very good question you ask. I had that very conversation twice, as it happens yesterday, independently too, uh, two completely different people. Here's my theory. And let me give you an example uh, I'm reading about this morning. Yesterday, there was a property investors conference get-together forum, and at it, both National and ACT committed to reversing the government's morally, or what they call morally wrong, new tax rules around investors and housing. Uh, particularly, apparently, everyone's outraged by the change in interest deductibility. Now, that's going to add about $6,000 a year to the cost of owning a typical rental property. And no one saw that coming. It wasn't talked about in the election campaign. It was another one of those acts of subterfuge by the government, and they just bring this out of left field for no particular reason. As I told you before 7.30, it's done absolutely nothing to the housing uh, market whatsoever. So anyway, at this particular forum, they call this morally wrong. So they both have committed to reversing those policies. Now, here's my point. My point is this. One, the tide's going to go out on this government, and the tide will go out probably by the end of 2022. In other words, the end of next year and into 2023. They're going to be in real trouble. There's going to be a real contest on. Now, a lot of people focusing on national at the moment say they haven't got their act together, and broadly speaking, they haven't. But that's they've got time on their side. But what you're getting for the first time in absolutely ages, and this is the critical part, is genuine comparison. For a long period of time, Labour struggled in this country because John Key and National had stolen the centre. The action's in the centre. Everyone was fighting about the centre. That's why Helen Clark was successful. It was why Key was successful. It was why Blair was successful. It was why Hawke and Keating were successful. They went for the centre. But for the first time in ages, you've got genuine comparison to be made because this government is left of centre and well left of centre. And so you've got a lot of policy now where the other guys can go, you know what, that's no good, we're reversing it. So you have choice. And choice in a democracy is a good thing. And the trick is to exercise the choice. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of a viable alternative, eh? It's a problem. Um, now, uh, proactive releases. It sounds like it's either a multivitamin or something that happens in the middle of the night after you've had beans for dinner. A proactive, remember this, it's, it's every, every now and again lovely to read a story. This is from Newsroom, lovely story, and it reminded you, oh, that's right, they did too. So a proactive release policy, do you remember this? Proactive release policy, part of the government's transparency drive. Uh, this was back in 2018, they promised to do this. A review of its effectiveness is 18 months behind schedule. Chris Hipkins is in charge of this. Government remains committed to improving uh, its openness. Stop laughing. Its openness and accountability. So in 2018, they announced it would proactively release all cabinet papers within 30 working days of a final decision without people needing to file an official information act request. It's all coming back to you now. Andrea Vance writes a piece a couple of weeks ago. She's never seen a government like it. They're so thin-skinned you can't get a bit out of them. But this was the same government, never been more open, never been more honest, never been more transparent, and furthermore, have we got a policy for you. In his cabinet paper recommending the move, it would take place by the start of December of 2019. 
More than 18 months on from that deadline, that review has still not been completed. Work on a single point of access for the proactivity released material mentioned in the paper also does not seem to have been meaningfully progressed. Hipkins, this is the best bit, Hipkins says there was no particular reason for the report's delay, but there had been ongoing reviews. They're in charge of us. Oh, a few more committees, a few more reports. Sure, it'll happen sooner or later. Hey, uh, Mike's talking about the GDP again. How many times has he done that this week? He's really, really interested. Several things about our GDP number, which is out tomorrow, by the way. One, it's absurd we're waiting until now to get details about the economy from January, February and March. The irony being we're about to end the second quarter of the year and we haven't even got the statistics for the first. And two, just what's it going to be? The thing almost everyone has agreed upon, it's not going to be very good. It will either be a little bit above zero or a little bit below zero. If it's below it, that's a recession, given the last quarter of last year was below zero as well. If that's the case, the government should be hanging their heads in shame. But instead, they'll say something like, oh, it's historical detail. We've moved on. Our economy's off and running, which it isn't. But they'll worry about coming up with an excuse for that another day. If it's above zero... They will talk about growth and freedoms and a bright and prosperous tomorrow. What allows them to get away with all of this flannel is sadly too many people don't know nor care about things like GDP. A lot of people's economic outlook, more's the pity, is limited to their own personal circumstances. If you've got a job, if you pay the mortgage, if you've got a holiday, you're okay, therefore you think the economy's fine. If you work at Marsden Point or Kowarau Mill, not so much. If you're running a cafe or a restaurant and you're shrinking your hours because you can't get the people you need, not so much. If you're selling a car or a jet ski or clothes, your economy's never been better. But that's GDP. It's the culmination of everything. It's everyone's good news story. It's everyone's bad news story, every story in between. And in that is your number. It's the complete picture. And the complete picture, whether it's a bit above zero or a bit below zero, is hopeless. For want of a better word, it's stagnant. That's our economy, stagnant, going nowhere. All that COVID freedom... For what? Stagnancy and debt. That's what's preventing it really being truly awful. $100 billion worth of debt. The false inflator. The fiscal opiate. So have a look at the figure when it comes out tomorrow. Then have a look at the number for other countries that we do business with. And you will note theirs tends to be bigger. In, say, Australia's case, it was 3.1. So in their case, a lot bigger. Ask yourself why. Economic credibility is the answer. They have it. We don't. And as always... The numbers don't lie. I would love it so much if um, the GDP figure came out and it was awesome. Um, I mean, obviously, that'd be great for the country and everything, but it would just be so funny for Mike to have to go, ah, wasn't what I was expecting. Um, We're going to finish up here with something that I think Mike's probably really super right about, uh, EVs. And in fact, any kind of new technology that everybody suddenly jumps on board. And Richard Preble hits it out of the park yet again. And, and the value of Richard Preble and the Herald is this experience. Institutional knowledge. And he reminded me of something this morning that, that is just so prescient. I note, by the way, that Land Rover, a very fine sponsor of this very fine program, is looking for a hydrogen defender. And the reason I say that is this is where Richard Preble comes in. Because, of course, do you know why we're on to EVs? We're on to EVs are the MMP of cars. EVs may or may not be the future, but we've decided they're the future simply because we've decided they're the future. And and, and it's only now that we're looking at the cobalt and the lithium and all the other problems around them. And if you remember MMP, we, we voted for MMP not because it was the best system, but it was the most 
marketed system, and the Greens were behind the marketing. There were other options, STV and a whole bunch of other options we had. None of us could be bothered looking at them, reading them, understanding them, or making an informed decision. All we did is listen to Rod Donald and Jeanette Fitzsimons go, MMP's the answer, MMP's the answer, MMP's the answer. And then we were sick of Muldoon, so we thought, oh yeah, we need to change the system, let's vote for MMP. That's how we got MMP, and that's how we got EVs. And I'll tell you why, hydrogen, what's the biggest problem around EVs? Filling them up. And that's that's your issue. Range anxiety, or is there somewhere to plug it into? Even if they solved that, even if they gave you a, a plug-in facility every five metres, you still wouldn't get around the cold hard fact it takes far too long to charge an EV. Because the precedent's been set over 100 years. It takes two minutes with petrol. You pull up, put the thing in, two minutes later you're gone. Until you can do that with EVs, which you can't and you won't, they're going to be a problem. What can you do with hydrogen? Takes the same amount of time that it does with petrol. That's your big advantage. Brings me back to Richard Preble. He says a shaman examining the entrails of a goat could make a forecast of GDP in 30 years' time that would be just as valid. He talks about the climate change report and what a joke it is. He says it's quackery. The Treasury has some experience in modelling the New Zealand economy and cannot predict GDP in 12 months' time. And he's right, of course. I don't know, he says, of electric vehicles of the future, nor does the Commission. Now, here's the memory bit. This is where the institutional knowledge comes in. The Muldoon government thought CNG vehicles were the future of transport. Expensive subsidies were provided to convert cars and to set up a national network of CNG stations. We were leading the world, but no one followed. And unless you know that stuff, you don't learn. Yeah, we had a tank in our Exactly. And you still got it there, have you? Exactly. Yeah, geez, it was so exciting. I remember being in the Austin Princess when Dad would um, fill it up with... See it compressed natural gas because um, you always felt like it might explode at any minute and it's so noisy. And and Utes and trucks run on LPG too, didn't they? I think around the same. That was and like the boot space in the Austin Princess wasn't really massive to begin with, and then you'd stick a massive CNG tank in there. Weird part of New Zealand history. I'm Glenn Zubey. Uh, that was the rewrap. We'll be back with more weird history tomorrow, probably. See you then.